0: Welcome to the Premier League Forever Forest podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Forever Forest podcast on what was a truly historic weekend for this nation. A new king was crowned and he goes by the name of Morgan Gibbs White. What a fantastic performance on Trent's side. We're going to dive into all things Southampton, looking ahead to Chelsea and trying to predict this run-in. Try and share any tips on avoiding a heart attack, because God knows I could do with that help right now. Joining me tonight... All the way from the US of A. It is Dan the man. How are you doing, Dan?
0: Very well, thank you. Thank you for having me back. It's been a while.
1: Has been a while. You've been to and from the UK a couple of times since then, haven't you?
0: Yeah, just generally. Not sure where I am most of the <laughs> time, to be honest.
1: But you got to a few games in that time as well. You were where were you? At Liverpool and I've seen us,
0: I've seen us lose at West Ham, I've seen us lose to Manu and I've seen us lose at Liverpool.
1: Mate, my record's not much better, so don't feel too bad. And uh, also joining us then, and someone who has seen more wins than
2: me and Dan of late, is Holly Royal. How you doing, Holly? Just about. Yeah, no, really good. Absolutely knackered after last night. Got back in about half past 12 after my mate Bruce drove me back to London. But um, yeah, knackered but jubilant after that. So yeah, raring to go yeah that must have been a happy car ride you can't it can't have felt low
1: on days where it feels worth the commute that's got to be right up there
2: yeah definitely I mean it was absolutely lashing it down with rain as well so we had to take it easy but it didn't really matter because um yeah when you've won like that I mean it's fantastic it doesn't really matter how you get home you're just buzzing and um yeah just living off that that victory really so yeah
1: well, I was making do with watching the game on Sky. I think Dan was in a similar boat. Holly, you were actually there. Um, I'm going to go to, to Dan first. What did you make of that game last night? Honest assessment, or is it just the result? Uh,
0: well, it's just the result, but... Like I was speaking to so a neighbour of mine over here in New Jersey. He's an Everton fan and a, a genuine Everton fan. Grew up in the UK as well. He used to have a season ticket. So we have a lot in common a kind of pretty miserable footballing <laughs> lives. So yeah, we were comparing notes yesterday because obviously they played earlier in the day. He wasn't expecting anything and they thumped Brighton. And then obviously what happened with us happened. And we were just kind of texting through that game. I don't think other fans of other teams, or not many, understand the jeopardy that Forest live in consistently through the years so it was an absolute nerve-wracker of a game and it was great that we got the win but how many times have we sat here whether it's Sheffield United in the playoffs, Yeovil, Blackpool, the Wembley final with the last few minutes, uh, avoiding relegation with the Cohen goal against Ipswich, how many times as a Forest fan do you have to Nearly have a heart attack before you say, "Do you know what I'm going to go and watch some like snooker or <laughs> Crown Green bowls or something it's um It's great when it finishes, but my word is it like tortuous during the game? I can honestly say without hyperbole, I did not enjoy a minute of that yesterday
1: not one minute, not none of it.
0: Well, the minutes where you, Forrest, literally score, and by the time the ball is back on the halfway line to kick off, you're like, oh, my God, what's going to happen now? So maybe three thirty-second bursts across the 102 minutes or whatever it was. But the rest of it, I-, I was at a point where I'm like, I'm not sure I can take any more of this, to be honest.
1: Yeah, we invite so, so much pressure. Oh, yeah, and it's a credit to the lads on the park that actually... They're converting the chances now. The, it, the ones that we, we, we've we lived by in games uh, earlier in the season where we're like, we can't let these go begging. If we're only going to have 20% of the ball, then those five shots we have on target, we need to convert half of them. Uh, we're starting to do that. Dare I say Taiwo well Awani uh, being back up front getting a bit of a run in the team has given us a focal point that's helping us but we'll, we'll we'll cross that bridge what was it like in the stadium heart attacks galore holly
2: oh it was really painful really really painful it just felt like deja vu um it was absolutely exhilarating but just crushing at the same time i mean there was at that last 7 minutes it was like being at wembley in that last 6 minutes where i just i could barely watch it i literally had my hands um over my scarf and my hands over my eyes. I just, you know, I just thought there's a, a an a part of inevitability here that we're just going to throw it away. But thankfully we didn't. But no, it was um it was very tense. I mean, as soon as kickoff, the crowd was rousing, we got behind them. Um, but there were periods where, you know, it was very tentative and it was, it was quite, it, you could just cut the the atmosphere with a knife. It was just really tense and really kind of We weren't quite sure, you know, um, but all in all, I think, I mean, it was a fantastic, it was a fantastic evening. It was a fantastic atmosphere. um, And the part where we all had our scarves in the air and and singing Forest and Magic, you know, it was absolutely breathtaking, really, to watch. Um, So I'm just glad that we got us over the line. But I I don't know, I I wouldn't say um, that it was... To begin with, it was the best atmosphere that we could have sort of, you know, it it did feel like we were all just a little bit nervy and a little bit worried about what was going to happen and and just a bit tentative. So I think uh, that's like what Dan said, though,
1: we've we've done this dance so many times before and we've seen it go both ways now. Um, So I think there's that kind of inertia and numbness where you just want to be objective and almost get the 90 minutes done. Dan, before the game, you were messaging us and you were being ultra reasonable, I would say, and more reasonable than I was prepared to be. Because for me, yesterday, it was do or die. Didn't get the three points. That was it. I'd write off the season and just accept we were going down. Whereas you were maybe not leaning quite towards that level of panic stations. When we saw the teams come out, Southampton were clearly going to attack. They weren't going to go down without a fight. And for the first, what, would you say 10 minutes of that game? Um, it looked like it might pay off for them. Um, but that counterattack, attack it, it was absolutely lethal. I'm going to start there. What a ball from Danilo uh, over the top of the defence to, um, uh, to, to Brennan at wide on the right. Great finish first time. Ooh, it was a great pass first time from John O. and then a great finish from Aouni. Uh what, what did you make of our counter-attacking prowess last night?
0: Yeah, it, again, I think it's just like the dimensions we have to it now. I think there's a period in the season where we didn't have Danilo or we didn't have someone like Danilo, who was, you know, kind of that midfield presence that was a bit more you know, of an attacking threat, let's say, or could play that final ball. And we also didn't have Tayo for a while as well, Tayo. Um, so we were a bit one-dimensional for a while. It was Morgan Gibbs-White and it was Johnson and it was kind of one of those who's got to do something or the other one has. And we were kind of getting marked out of the game and they could take Johnson out. It felt last night, and yeah, I granted we were playing bottom of the league, but it, it's felt like that for a couple of games now where we've got four players the opposition have to worry about. Uh, Danilo can put those balls through, Johnson can tear, lift literally tear people's hamstrings with his with his runs as he did last night. Or I think the Southampton lad just what, didn't fancy it, so it <laughs> all went down. Uh, Morgan Gibbs-White can do a bit of everything and Taiu can finish. So it just feels now like teams have got to start worrying about our counter. Whereas before I felt like we were counterattacking and it was just kind of getting nullified. And, you know, um, yeah, it, it just feels a bit more of a threat. And maybe that's because Southampton are Southampton and they are where they are. But um feels like we've done that to a couple of teams recently.
1: Yeah, after the game, Morgan Gibbs-White was talking about how Poops is almost being pragmatic, like having to play a way that he doesn't really want the lads to play. But touch wood, we've still got a couple of games to go. That that, front three plus uh, Danilo... That that could be really exciting if we're still in this league next year. It really could be, and I think being in this league next year is going to be what ultimately just dis- defines whether those that group of players are together to play with each other. Um, but yeah, so so exciting. Uh, just on the break, I. There were times after the first goal, I was like, okay, Southampton are so vulnerable. And again, I think I said this in our chat before the game when we were a little bit worried about them uh, really coming at us. Kind of suited us. They were going to leave holes that we could then exploit. And for once, we really finally did. Um, Holly, who was the major influence for, for us last night? You can only pick one. Star player of the match who who drove us forward.
2: Oh, that's really difficult because I think as a, as a unit, everyone did their job and that just to kind of have that expansive, explosive kind of attacking for me. We were just so quick last night and everyone would, it's just, it just seems like everyone knows their place now and everyone knows everyone is on the pitch and they've just got that awareness. But there were times, I mean, I would say Morgan, but there were times where he did give the ball away and he as, as wonderful as he is at times and that absolutely incredible deft little touch to to lay off to to Danilo for the for the fourth goal there are times where he gives the ball away unnecessarily um not to put too much of a downer on him but i just think in terms of the progression in terms of the consistency i think danilo has has been been the guy for us and I think last night he was absolutely amazing he's just a guy that is just absolutely full of confidence isn't he and um he'll just ping a ball over out of nowhere he's just got that eye threading through the needle kind of an eye for a ball and, and last night it came you know it was absolutely perfect so I'm really pleased that I think he got he got the sponsors man of the match didn't he I don't think he, he sky gave Morgan the um the uh, man of the match but Danilo for me I think it's got to be uh, especially the way he finished that fourth goal as well um, it was just looks really really composed and I absolutely love his celebration as well how we've got behind him so I think it's Danilo for me
1: You love that machine gun coming out Oh yes. Just love firing
2: at all the crowd yeah. it's, it's
1: nice to eradicate the memory of um, Rafic Jebor uh, owning that celebration at the city ground so uh, oh, th- yeah. thank you Danilo Dan who's getting yours? We've got one vote Danilo and I'm going to be the decider at the end of it.
0: Oh, okay. Um, so I've got to echo the point that Holly rightfully made, which is it's a team game. And as much as we all know it's a team game, we often forget it's a team game and we single out individuals and go, they had a great performance and that's why. But I think we have to come back to the fact that I think that's the third time this season, maybe the fourth time since he's been here, that Steve Cooper has reinvented a team that looks like it's played together for a while. Um once because of recruitment changes and once because of major injuries. And I don't think anyone would have picked that 11 in March to start today, never mind in January. Um, So I think it worked because we had the right shape and it worked because we had a midfield that worked well. So I'm going to go a bit left field and pick out Mangala because he's dropped from a position of playing in front of Remo Freuler for a lot of the season when he's been fit to being the holding one of the three. So he's kind of drifted into that position where maybe Ryan Yates and Danilo are getting a lot of the attention, as they should do, going forward. But Mangala is doing what we wanted Rumo Freuler to do. And I think it's allowing the front five, if you include Yates and the four we've talked about, um, to really offer a threat. And I just felt he upped his game. So kind of as a as a, what would you call it, the uh, coach's man of the match or the uh, you know most improved player award, not to patronise it too much. I do think Mangala's really come on and that's allowed the others to shine. So I'm going to go Mangala for that one. But I won't be offended if you uh, if you vote elsewhere in your casting vote.
1: Well, we're going to have to rely on people on Twitter at the end of this to be the deciding vote then, because I'm, I'm going to stick with uh, Morgan Gibbs-White. I think it takes a, a lot of nerve. To step up and take a penalty at that Mm. end of the ground, where one year ago you absolutely uh, fluffed your lines, and those memories must have still been present. I know he's had uh, he's scored down that end already this season. Maybe wash that away, but nevertheless, what I will say that I I was very close to giving it Danilo, especially after morgan's um involvement in the first southampton goal shall we say and i'm not really even talking about the 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 short pass where he sold uh he sold mangala up shit creek basically with that pass if you watch that replay gibbs white starts tracking back realizing he's fucked up takes his foot off the gas and then realises he's fucked up again and isn't with his man, and then puts the burners on and actually almost gets to him as he's turning the ball into the net. If you just ran at full pace, mate, after cocking it up the first time, you would have been there and probably would have uh, dealt with that. But whatever, that's in the past. Uh, I, I can't get past the, the goal and that touch for Danilo. That's, that's I've not seen a touch like that. At Forest in a really long time, like totally intentional. A level of intelligence there. Am I am I getting swept away with media hype, or, or is, is there someone else that you guys might point to that I'm uh, perhaps having a bit of short term memory loss over? Just I to can... throw a cur-
2: just to throw a curveball though. Do we know? Do we think that he definitely meant that touch? Yes, because he's literally flicked it onto his heel, hasn't it? He? And then it's flicked into Danilo. So. I mean, it is mind-boggling. If Jack Colback <laughs>
1: meant the goal against West Brom, Morgan Gibbs-White meant that
2: touch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's never it, going it, to say it, otherwise, it, is it? Yeah, it feels
0: exactly. a bit Indiana Jones though. What's the film where you realise that Indiana Jones had like no actual say on the outcome? It's like <laughs> if he wasn't stood there, Danilo would have just rifled it in from another two yards out. That's my yeah. controversial point. But no, no, it was um, it was it was a great touch. It almost just allowed us to. Well, if did. anything, that took away from the brilliance of the first two goals. Because if you look at the, t- you, Danilo, we've already talked about it to a degree, but Danilo's pass into Johnson. Johnson didn't take a touch for that second, for the first goal. First ball was to Tio. And Tio, all credit to him, he does need it right on his foot. And Jono put it exactly on his foot with the first touch. And then Danilo's touch for Tio's goal, I think, is underrated. You could talk about whether that was intentional as well. Um, but that second Tio goal, I think. All three all three out um open play goals were, were equally spectacular in my mind. But yeah. yeah,
1: do you know what we might I might have pigeonholed us here trying to pick a player of the match. It's it's ridiculous. <laughs> like, there were a lot of good performances. Dan, I absolutely agree with you that Danilo refusing to say die on that opportunity, the ball's fizzed into him from Lodi and he almost doesn't bring it under control and he's just stabbing it into a dangerous area. And hallelujah. Hosanna, Psalm 5-3, whatever it was. I'm not religious. Um, he's in the perfect spot. So um, we haven't even talked about Taiwo yet. He definitely um, des- deserved a shout out for two. There weren't even poachers finishes. It was poachers positioning and just making yourself a nuisance and creating the chaos that is necessary in this league. Um, yeah, absolutely fantastic. But just circling back, what I do want to say with Morgan Gibbs-White, whether he meant the touch or not and whether there's going to be any debate about that, what he did do was he drew a defender and chose not to be selfish. He could have, he could have just swung some boots at that and anything have happened, That he went, nah, I'll, I'll draw the man, create the space and guarantee the goal. That is what we need long. May that continue into the next run of games well I was going to follow this up and talk about was there an unsung hero but I think Dan's already covered it because Mangala would have got my vote as well uh was there anyone else Felipe did he
2: deserve that goal hell of a celebration oh what a celebration that if anybody deserves a goal um and to have a wild celebration like that it's that fella I mean wow absolutely gutted for him but It just shows what else he's got in his locker. He's just a 360 man, isn't he? He's just, you know, incredible, incredible player. Um, And for me, I'll just have a little, possible little shout for Joe Worrell coming in and playing right back. Um, I thought he did pretty well. Um, Looked fairly solid. Um, So a little shout out for him as well, I think. Kept it simple.
1: Mm. He he came on and just kept the play moving. Didn't try and overcomplicate things. Didn't look nervous. Like in the past, I've seen Joe slow play down and look up and always try that long raking cross-field ball. Just went simple this time, and it worked out perfectly. Even Koyati going arse over tip um, <laughs> couldn't, couldn't get into that move. Things were just falling in place for us last night, and I, I, I don't want to invite any bad karma or get ahead of myself, but it just felt like our luck was in and that for once things were falling to us rather than against us.
2: I think the only slight um, negative for me was that Surridge gave away the penalty. I mean, it was a very dubious penalty anyway, but, you know, we, a lot of us have been calling for him to start ahead of our, well to come on instead of IU as a substitution in the second half. And, um, yeah, I hope that doesn't dent his, his confidence, you know, going forward. But, um, I mean, it was a bit dubious. Um, I watched it back earlier and I'm not too sure. But other than that, I don't think there's a massive amount of fault, really. I think, I mean, I don't know whether you're going to come on to talk about Navas, but um maybe I'll leave that for later on. But um personally, I'm It sounds, little... it sounds
1: like you've got some thoughts about Navas. Holly, well, where, where are
2: you going? I don't know. I think it's, it really splits opinion, doesn't it? It's a weird one because it's pretty much a goal a game that he's given away. And I don't know whether he sort of sees us as a kind of like his pseudo-retirement home and he's sort of on kind of only in second gear and just he can't I just can't get my head around the fact that someone that's played to such an elite level and has such prestige around him you know he's won all these champions leagues etc etc and yet this fundamental basics that he gets wrong time and time again now don't get me wrong he's pulled off some absolute worldly saves that have kept us in it but it's just basic parrying into just, just literally in front of him, just with the goal gaping. It's just I don't know. I, I find it really difficult to to understand. And also, he's not he's exactly
1: the calm in the chaos. No, he's... he's kind of just he'll get a hand to something, but it doesn't necessarily. It's
2: not. Yeah. A certain... it's and surely, as as basic as a goalkeeper, especially at that level, you would expect more. And also, his kicking is terrible. You know, and it's not just comparing him to Brees Samba, who was a wonderful executioner of, you know, getting the ball going and his distribution was absolutely wonderful, but his kicking's terrible at times. It really is. Um, and it just frustrates me because I want more from him. I think we, we demand a little bit more from him. I think that's fair to say, but, you know, I'm open to debate about that one.
1: Yeah, I, I'm going to hold my tongue till the end of the season, <laughs> see where we are and then when it's the premier league say that i want dean henderson
2: yeah um, but will yeah, i think, that point.
0: I, think it, I, I think one thing that can be said is dean henderson will probably take the popular vote if we said who do we want in goal out of our 3/4 slash four keepers that have played this season um what i would say is and this this statement is completely unqualified and not backed up by any data whatsoever but just as a armchair fan who's not watched too much of Navas previous to him coming to Forest apart from the old Champions League game it does make me wonder that the things that we think he does well are the things that you would expect a keeper to do well when you're playing for a team who has 80% possession like Madrid or Paris Saint-Germain and who is called upon once in a blue moon to make a reaction save and when you get the ball back your defenders aren't being pressed on the edge of your own box and another team is sitting in the other half. So I know that's no excuse for, you know, some some other basics, but it does make me wonder whether there is a, you know, when someone's been playing the game for that long, whether there are certain habits and certain styles, which are just muscle memory at that point. And um, it might be just a case for us of saying, well, you've got to take the rough with the smooth to a degree, but it, I, I get it. it is frustrating that you think, well, if that's the case, Surely, then, what are you working on in training? Because we can't be the only ones seeing this, and I, I don't want to be too heavy on him because I think, as you say, he's he's pulled off some mega saves which have probably saved us as many goals as we've conceded. It's just as is always the cliche with a goalkeeper when you're the one who's in goal and you let you know, like the second one in at Brentford, or yeah. you make a mistake, it gets seen, right? And I just don't think maybe we were hoping for someone who was even better than Henderson, and what we've got is probably someone who just isn't performing quite to that standard um so expectations again maybe the jesse lingard syndrome of is he objectively bad or is he just not as good as we were hoping he would be given his you know his heritage
1: he's a damn sight better than wayne hennessy or jordan smith that's not hard is it (laughs) Well, then there we go He's, he's our second choice keeper and he's the best second choice keeper option we've got um Holly you mentioned it there were, there were times where the ground felt a little bit flat now come at me forest fans on twitter i'm not i'm not digging anyone out but i will say the nerves were definitely apparent at times in that game and i've been there in the stadium where i felt that way and you do suddenly like you do stop singing for a bit because you just want to focus on what is happening on the pitch it felt nervy over the over the wire and on the box um yesterday Holly, you kind of all but confirmed that was absolutely the case. Let's focus on the positive. What was the outpouring of and the release of
2: tension like at full time? Oh, it was wonderful. What? I wouldn't say it was the most glorious of full times that we've ever had. It was more relief than anything, I think, for everybody. And the fact that... um, a lot of people kind of felt like they didn't really know what to do. I mean, obviously there was a, um, the rousing. You just can't get enough as usual. And that was great. But I think there's a few people looking around like, wow, we pulled that off. Thank God for that kind of thing. It was, um, it was slightly odd. Um, and then obviously Cooper didn't do his fist pumps again, which is absolutely fine. Um, as far as I'm concerned, you know, we're not over the line yet. Totally get that. Um, but yeah, it was just a feeling of utter relief because I think we'd all just been put through the mill in that last well, it, just the that second half, really, and definitely the last sort of ten minutes. So um, it was just, thank God, that's over. And the whistle just wouldn't blow either, would it? It was just like begging for it to blow. It's like, come on, um, you know what? You know, we don't want any more curveballs. So, um,
1: yeah. How long did we play an added time at in the Brighton game as well? Is that two games now where where we've gone way over the time?
2: Yeah, wasn't it like ten minutes or something? I, I think, think they no. played, I think they got to
1: like 115 again or something in the Brighton game because they basically played another half of extra time having just come off um, the extra time against United. Yeah, that was really painful last night. So firstly, the Felipe goal. And actually, maybe this just moves us on to a VAR debate, which is exactly what happened the last time it was all three of us. So let's see if our positions shifted at all on, on how VAR is being um, adjudicated. Brennan, absolutely right call from the ref. Don't think there was ever any doubt that VAR would um, overturn that one. Can't get around it. Brennan gets his foot there first and is hacked into. Uh, Whether he would have got to the second ball is a different matter. It's obsolete at that point. Um, The Felipe goal. Now, in that moment, the linesman hasn't raised his flag. The linesman has said it's a goal. And when we look back at it, it's the finest of margins. Is it what his forehead basically leaning forward that, that he's off with? Um, If if the rule is gets overturned for a clear and obvious error, that's not a clear and obvious error to me. Um, meanwhile, at the other end of the field, and I think this is where it leveled out because it wasn't really a clear and obvious error for um Lavia going down either. I, I've got a feeling Michael Oliver probably heard the little nick off the toe. Um, maybe that's what VAR needs, like in cricket. We need a a, a snick on spot, yeah, <laughs> yeah, hot spot on the toes and a snickometer so we can measure the audio levels. Um, but then, yeah, they, just that whole clear and obvious bit for me. And I, I, I agree with you, Holly. It didn't really seem like a penalty against Surridge, but I think he gave one for a similar in quotes, very similar circumstance to the one that he'd awarded us. Um, yeah, I don't know where he just made a, a rod for his own back and had to stick with it and made It made a really tense ending to the game. But, Dan, firstly, Felipe, fair call, offside, no complaints? I can't,
0: I can't remember exactly what I said before, but my issue with the offside situation and running it back... So I, I take the point on like, you know, is it clear and obvious? And are you are you doing, again, a bit like the cricket? Are you leaving it with the linesman's call? Are you saying it's within a tolerance? Could you do that and say, well, it's close enough that, you know, the linesman makes the call, but you've still got to draw a line somewhere. So then you say, okay, well, if it's within a foot, um, you know, it stays on, but you've still then got to measure the foot. And then we'll be talking about whether it was just over a foot and just under a foot. Fundamentally, for me, it comes down to a simple thing, which is there is still subjectivity in an offside rule, which should be black and white. And the subjectivity comes in because the frame rate of the imagery is not good enough to know when the ball has left the foot. So there's been plenty of these calls where, if you're not going to invest in the technology and you're not going to have Hawkeye level cameras that are capable of doing that, even if it's not the ones that are showing the broadcast image, then I don't see how you can pretend to be being accurate about something because, like, I'm the scientists by day you can't put rubbish into a system and then analyze the output of it and say that's an accurate output so for me just fundamentally from a data point of view it's nonsense whether it's for forest or against forest i don't see how you can uh, properly adjudicate that without doing something that's more technologically advanced or using hawkeye and some simulation whatever you just can't carry on saying that what we are doing today is giving you an accurate yes or no as to whether it's offside, because the frame rate isn't in the right position. The line is drawn by hand, like, you know, manually placed. And then the decision is given to another person. So there are three areas for error to be produced in a normal game without it. There is one area for error and that's the linesman. So I'd much prefer to just stick with the idea that the linesman was right or wrong, not the decision was given. And we have no idea which part of the process fell down this week versus last week. So on offside, I am totally against the use of VAR.
1: I, I'm going to agree with you on that. I think that you, you're you employing someone to do that job on the field. And if they don't give it, then that should be the call. And if they do give it, then that is the call. Um, yeah. yeah, Holly, what, what was your thought? What was the ground like? Because I, I think that everyone thought, finally, this game's put to bed. Mm-hmm. And of course it wasn't. Of course it wasn't.
2: Why would it be? We were just still dizzying from celebrating. I mean, and it still catches me out even now where you go absolutely insane. You're hugging everyone around you and you're falling down the row and then you're like, oh, yeah, VAR every single time. So like, hang on, calm down. Let's just see. Is it going to be given? Uh, yeah, and it was really gutting that one because, as we say, we, we desperately wanted him to score. Um, he's had an absolutely fantastic season since we've been here. So, um Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it looked marginal, really. Um, It's like, where do we get to having two referees? It's literally like having two referees on the pitch, really, isn't it? It's like one book says, yes, it is. That bloke confirms it. It's just a bit, I don't know. I'd be interested to know whether it ever gets properly looked at. Um, And I'm sure I, I read somewhere that someone was saying about having chips in boots and all this kind of thing, whether that's possible, I don't know. Do we want to go to that level of... You know, intricacy, really, of having chips in football boots. I don't know. but if, just If
0: you're going to do something, just do it properly, for the love of God. Like, yeah. just don't half-arse it at the moment. And I, I have a, I wouldn't call it a conspiracy theory, but, you know, obviously, <laughs> not that anyone thinks we do, but clearly we don't, like, make any money off doing a podcast. But there are plenty of people in the industry who are making money talking about VAR, and it, no publicity is bad publicity and at the moment, I don't see why the Premier League would fix it because it's the talk of the town and everyone's, you know, everyone's all over it. And it's entertainment at the end of the day. US sports taught me nothing other than the fact if people are talking about it on the news, it's making money. So the conspiracy theorist in me is why would they fix this?
1: But even if they do fix it, there'll be that rare moment that still happens. It's football, right? There's yeah. always something that escapes and defies logic yeah. uh, to infuriate one side versus the other.
0: And to your point, I think the the thing that definitely isn't happening is referees or linesmen are purposefully throwing games. You can talk about the consistency of them. You can talk about g- going to the J- Johnson penalty. I think the referee we had last night is Michael Oliver. Yeah, I
1: thought he was good.
0: Like, I might get pelted for this. I've seen him a couple of times this season. I actually think he's one of the better ones. Not because I'm saying... He objectively gets more decisions right than wrong. Who am I to judge that? But he seems to have some consistency. And if you look at his position for the Jono penalty, he was exactly where a referee should be. And half the times Jono doesn't get penalties, it's because he's 10 miles an hour faster than the referee and the referee is still 40 yards back. So it's not the referee is throwing the game or he's got something against Jono. I just don't think they're all up to the same standard of being able to referee a game, not because they're seeing the same thing and making a different decision. They're not putting themselves in the right position. He does put himself in the right position. And I think that's why Johnson got a penalty that nine out of 10 championship referees wouldn't have given him last year and probably two out of 10 would have yellow card him for.
1: I do not think you're wrong. Uh, I, I'll agree with you, Michael Oliver. I think he's a great ref. Um, I, if nothing else, even if there were decisions that maybe uh, are up in the air, he just seems to own his role and he's composed and he controls the game. Whatever way you see it, he controls the game and allows it to, to play out in, with him very much the boss. Uh, I, I don't see many people really arguing. saw so the minute Sam Surridge turned around and uh, just stared at him after the penalty. And he just pointed and was like, yeah, you. Uh, so, yeah. All right, Fine, this isn't getting overturned. Um, right. Well, you know, speaking of refereeing controversies and, and views that some of them might be biased, that does bring me on to the point that Daddy Maranakis in the stands last night looked delighted, looked very happy. His uh, his favourite team uh, is, is, uh, is very much fighting and still in it. It's mad that the amount of controversy that follows Olympiacos round when they're literally fighting for a title every single year uh, compared to us, I... I don't know why he'd uh, invite that into his life. It's like you said, the jeopardy that comes in with uh, having Forrest on the roster as well. That's a heart that's under strain, surely. (laughs) Anyway, we'll, we'll move on from that. We're going to have a massive game at the weekend in Chelsea. Um,
2: Anyone going? Yep. Oh, you got a ticket, Holly. Delighted to have got a ticket after absolute fast that went on the other day. Um, Yeah, I count myself very lucky that I'm able to go. Really, really excited for this one. There's so much to play for now. Um, Yeah, it should be a great game, and I think we can take it to them. I really do. Um, I'd be really, really surprised if we don't come away from Stamford Bridge with at least a point. Um, i watched the extended highlights of them against Bournemouth, because
1: naturally our timeline went into, oh, thanks, Chelsea. You're finally turning up this, this season right before we play you. They weren't very good. They weren't very good against Bournemouth. If you haven't watched anything other than the goals, go watch the actual extended highlights in that game. Bournemouth could have had them multiple times. Bournemouth could have been two, three, one up themselves um, before Chelsea took control of it. I'm, I'm not unconfident going into this one. Um, I, I think if there was any, if you look at the run-ins, and I think pretty much everyone, I think we're playing the worst side. Available out of all the relegation between us, Everton, Leicester, and Leeds. Uh, I think we've got the best game this weekend. Um,
2: who who's everyone else yeah, got? Yeah, so Leicester's got, got Liverpool, right? Yeah, they've got Liverpool at home. Uh, Le- Leicester have, yeah, yeah, yeah. And someone's got Newcastle, aren't they? Um, yeah, Leeds have got Newcastle at home. Everton yeah. at home. Yeah, and then we've got Chelsea away.
1: So. If we had, if you know, if you had to put money on who might get the upset based on the opposition, it's us, isn't it?
2: Well, (laughs) you say that, although I guess Bournemouth maybe had taken their foot a little bit off the gas because they're you know they're pretty much safe, aren't they? So if they were fighting and absolutely scrapping like us and those those below us, and maybe you know it would have been a different game, but I would say so on paper, yeah. But I mean, look at last night with uh, Everton beating Brighton. Um, this league has just been absolutely mad this year. It's completely gone against the grain, um, so it's really hard to predict. But yeah, you'd like to think so. Um,
1: I'm I'm really confident that we could we could pinch something, even if that's a draw. I, and I think that could still be massive for us in the in in the grand scheme of what this season is. And I'm really trying to keep my feet on the ground and not get carried away because it was 4-3 last night against the worst team in the league. And it was 4-3 in a game where we probably shouldn't have given them anywhere near as much of a sniff as, as we did. But, you know, we repeatedly invited them back into the fixture. A team like Chelsea undoubtedly has the quality to put those chances to bed as well. Like, there's no getting away from that. But I don't know. Am I am I a foolish romantic, Dan?
0: Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, but,
1: things but
2: are going um, down, don't you, Dan? So, <laughs> um,
0: the thing the thing that worries me is, and I'll come on to the point in a minute about Chelsea, but the thing that worries me is our goal difference. So I think that counts as a point against us because anyone just basically has to get the same amount as us. So we've really got to get a point more, and I think what that means is to not have the world of pressure on us the last game of the season, if someone else does pull out another shock result like Everton did at Brighton, um, we've really got to get at least a point from the next two games. And our away form is horrific, right? We've beaten one team away all season. Yes, we've had some glimmers of hope. We've scored a couple at Anfield, but who hasn't this season? Um, You know, so... Well, that's true. (laughs) Um, So, yeah... It's a difficult one, but I think we have to get something from the next two games. Home form and crowd dictates that I kind of feel equal, and I'm sure we'll come on to this in another recording after the Chelsea game and maybe before Arsenal, I kind of feel equally as confident or unconfident, whichever way you look at it, that we could get a point from Arsenal at home because I think they're a better team and they're ruthless, but it's at home and we might do what we did against West Ham or Liverpool or Man City and grind something out. And I feel equally as confident and unconfident with that as I do about possibly getting something at Chelsea. The thing that really worries me, and, and maybe we'll talk about this in more detail, but uh, it's kind of where my head's at at the moment. Barring injury, we've got our front three and we've got our midfield three. And I think we have to stick with that approach. We need Yates and Danilo in there. We need um, Mangala in there. So that means a back four. If we play a back four, we're basically just playing a game of like Newcastle in 1996 under Keegan we'll try and score more than you, right? But I think we have to do that at this stage because what's the alternative? The alternative is going to a back five. And when we play a back five and we try and keep it tight, we still concede three away from home anyway. So it becomes an absolute shootout. And this is why, for me, it's hard to predict our results and anyone's at this point because we've got to try something. We cannot go away to Chelsea through... Cooper would get absolutely lambasted if we went away from Chelsea and just tried to hold out for a nil-nil. Not only would he get lambasted, it wouldn't work because we've not managed that yeah. at all. It's got to be a shootout, and then you're basically saying, who do we think will score the most goals? Um, so it's it's kind of anyone's anyone's game. Um, I just think there's going to be an awful lot of goals in that because Chelsea are not a great team, but they are fantastic individuals. And against Forest, I think fantastic individuals work pretty well in terms of set-piece takers, clinical finishers. You don't need to be running through us with 10 perfect passes. You need a couple of opportunities and you need to, you know, try and get a goal like Liverpool did to us three times. So, long story short, I'm hoping we get a point out of it. And if we do get a point, it will probably be five all. <laughs> <laughs> do
1: you know what? I I I wouldn't rule it out. Anything could could happen in this game. I'd, I'd take a nil-nil. I'd take it every day of the week and it just won't happen will it no chance holly what, what would you
2: dare give us a, a prediction on the chelsea game oh yeah like dan said there's going to be goals in it there really is um that's a really hard one i'd like to think to all but who knows and I would take 0-0 as well, but it's just not going to happen, is it? But 0-0 will be an absolutely fantastic result for us. So we've got um, Dan at 5-5, Holly at
1: 2-all, <laughs> and me at 0-0. So we have come to a consensus that a draw is a great result for us at the weekend. Absolutely. So without the benefit of knowing how we form in that game and then looking ahead to final home game of the season, Arsenal, and then Palace away... How many points do you guys actually think we're getting out of these final three games? Two. Two. Any advance on two?
2: I'm gonna go for four. Four points,
1: Holly. I love it. I, I I'm trying to be positive. I don't know what you've been up to today, but <laughs> it's uh yeah there four points. Well, we only need three apparently to be a hundred percent. Was that right? Freeb shared some
2: stats.
0: Ninety-five percent certainty of, of
2: ninety-five percent
0: certainty. 30.
2: Hang 30. on, did you 36. did you mean from now until the end of the season in the next yeah. three games or did you yeah. mean Okay, right. Yeah. Because I, I, I honestly think we're gonna get a point at Chelsea and then we'll beat Palace. You reckon yeah. we'll beat Palace? I think we'll beat Palace. Yeah, I'm confident we'll beat Palace. I, just...
0: I, I wanna revisit that. In the scenario whereby we need to beat Palace. Because I just have, and I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago, it was a horrible premonition because of the last game of the season. I think we will need to get a draw at Palace and hope that Leicester... So I reckon we might go into the last game of the season potentially needing to not be worse than Leicester. Something like that. Mm -hmm. And they've got West Ham, I think. And West Ham could be in the European Cup final. And it just worries me. That it's got forest written all over it, that like either a draw would be enough or a win and we'll be near it. And then just some Palace player that's got absolutely, absolutely nothing to play for just completely fucks us. <laughs> just with a goal that means nothing to them, absolutely nothing. They'll never even remember it. And it's basically life changing for us. And that's what concerns me. So I, I appreciate the optimism, Holly. I'm going to ask you again five minutes before kickoff when we actually need three points out of that game.
2: Yeah, you're on. But that's the thing like if Palace need, you know they're on the beach as we say and they've got absolutely nothing to play for it will be a killer if they do beat us but um I don't know I just I could kind of feel like we should have got something out of Brentford okay we made some mistakes but we played really well we played really well last night I just think there's a momentum now and I'm I don't know maybe I'm just getting ridiculously optimistic now off, off the, the back of uh, of last night but um why not eh let's dare to dream
1: I think two points gets us over the line. I genuinely think two points will be enough. Um, I think. Look again, the other teams that are in and around us. Maybe Everton have the favourable run in, uh, but hopefully City take the wind out their sails at, at the weekend, and we're the ones that are still with the uh, the benefit of a cushion. Um, but anyway, I, I digress. We should probably wrap things up. But the all important thing is that we still have our fate very much in our own hands. Unlike other teams in the East Midlands that crashed and burned on the final day and I waited until the final minute of the podcast to mention it. That was hilarious. Thank you very much, Derby County. Uh, enjoy the continuation of your banter era. Uh, mind the gap and we'll see you next time. You Reds! Hey!